careful, my friend, where you tread, for I warn you now, there are spoilers ahead. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, and before we get to part two of our analysis of the unproduced John August screenplay for the Tim Burton Dark Shadows film, the film that never was, the non-comedic version, the never-before-seen version of this screenplay, which we're going to dive into part two here in this episode. But before we get to that, I have a few little tidbits to share with you. First, I want to thank from the bottom of my little black heart, Patty Karapinar, who sent me such an amazing gift that I am still absolutely flabbergasted. This is unbelievable. She sent me the Dr. Julia Hoffman hypnotism medallion. Patty made this. Uh, she's posted pictures of the one she made for herself, the two-sided version of it. And here she says, I modeled your medallion after the first one-sided prop that Julia used to hypnotize David and then Maggie. A few elements are different than those in my double-sided one, so it's an original too. The final third one is a single-sided one from the other side of the second mirror compact I found. Again, there are slight differences between it and yours. I'm not sure what I'll be doing with it yet, but it will probably be the last one I make. So I think she's made a total of three of these. So I am deeply honored to have one uh, in my collection. I am absolutely delighted. I've put it uh, on the shelf with all of my other Dark Shadows collectibles. Thank you so much, Patty, for sending this and for your kind words about the podcast as well. I sincerely appreciate it. This is something I've been saying that MPI should produce uh, the Julia Hypnotism Medallion. So Patty has stepped in and done it herself, and I'm thrilled to have one of her medallions in my collection. So thank you again, Patty, for sending this to me. What a very thoughtful gift that was. A couple of news bits I have for you as well. Hermes Press has put out a press release and put up pre-orders for the upcoming Dark Shadows coloring book. Uh, The Dark Shadows coloring book features 88 pages of all new classic coloring book art featuring the series' best-loved episodes and its most important characters, including Barnabas, Angelique, Quentin, Maggie Evans, Josette Dupre, Victoria Winters, Laura Collins, Roger Collins, Carolyn Stoddard, Elizabeth Collins Stoddard, and many, many more. Artwork is by Samantha Lamuscu, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's $19.99 for the paperback version, 88 pages, color and black and white, 7 inches by 11 inches by 7 inches. The original show never boasted a coloring book tie-in. Now one has been created exactly as it should have been during the series' original run. Climb into the Wayback Machine and return to 1966 during the original run of Dark Shadows. This groundbreaking gothic romance featuring Barnabas Collins, a 200-year-old vampire, together with werewolves, ghosts, zombies, time travel, and everything that goes bump in the night, spun off a series of popular gold-key comic books, reprinted in their entirety by Hermes Press and still available, and 32 paperback library novels, also reprinted in their entirety by Hermes Press and still available, and many more tie-ins. But no coloring book! Hermes Press has now remedied this omission with the creation of a classic coloring book that has the look, feel, and content of a collectible created during the time of the original show. So head on over to HermesPress.com. You can pre-order it. It's currently, as I'm looking at my screen, it's $16.99, so they took $3 off here. So you can uh, jump on over to HermesPress.com and pre-order your Dark Shadows coloring book. I just pre-ordered two of them, and I might get a third one. Ansel Farage has let me know that 
Todd Tarantula is streaming for free on Tubi. So I think it's free with ads on Tubi. So if you have the Tubi app, you can watch all of Dark Shadows on there. And now you can watch Todd Tarantula on there. Another thing you can watch on there is Dark Shadows and Beyond, the Jonathan Fritz story, which I forgot to mention, I picked up a really cool t-shirt from uh, jonathanfrid.org. I jumped over to their store. They have a link to a store where there's some really cool merchandise. And there's a great Cousin from England shirt, it's called, and it's an illustration of Jonathan Frid by the amazing artist Sherlock, who longtime Dark Shadows fans will know from the fanzine days. Uh, She did a whole bunch of really cool, fun cartoons and things like that, and um, World of Dark Shadows and some of the other zines. And uh, Sherlock did this great illustration of Jonathan Frid, which is available on a t-shirt, and you too can get it through the jonathanfrid.org website. And now, let's get to part two of the John August screenplay discussion. Just a repeat of the disclaimer from episode one, we cannot distribute any screenplay. We were allowed to read it. We are sharing our reactions to it and looking at the plot and characters, but we do not have the ability to distribute any screenplays that have not been released to the public. So please do not ask us to do that. We cannot honor those requests. And it pains me to have to say that because I am all about sharing with the fan community and I am always happy to share because that's what it's all about. But in this instance, um, we don't have the ability to do that and uh, there are all kinds of implications involved here. So we were allowed to read it, but to share it, that's a, that's going to fall to somebody else to do that, uh, hopefully someday. However, as everything else over time eventually will likely be seen by fans. The best we can do is share our reactions to it and discuss what we think of the plot. So I hope you enjoy part two of this discussion. Okay, uh, drawing room. Uh, Liz and Roger watch um, as Maggie's carted away. Roger, uh, does she know about David? Liz, Julia says no. She thinks LVT may have killed her father. Roger says uh, Barnabas should have an alibi uh, in case she convinces others he was involved. Liz says she's a crazy person, a liar and an imposter. Who will believe her? They know Barnabas killed the LVT people, but um, so they're trying to did, help Barnabas out. Did you clarify that Maggie also told Julia everything about her own background and her own motives and that she can see ghosts and that's why she knows that Barnabas, like she, Maggie completely spilled everything to Julia she about did. herself. Yeah. Yeah, thank so, you for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah, she says she was lying about herself, but yeah, she she and, and her motives for coming to Collinwood and taking the job and all that. Yep, she just totally spilled the beans on all of that um, to to uh, Julia. She just came clean um, and was dragged off to Wincliffe as a result. Um, so now we're over at the Blue Whale um, outside. Barnabas tells Willie that he remembers when the place was built. Willie, it was probably the last time they washed the glasses. Uh, it's a row- I love the description of the blue whale. A rowdy bar hosting fishermen and cannery workers. The blue whale feels old world with low ceilings and smoky glass. Even at noon, it would be night outside. Inside, um, it just that's what the blue yeah. whale should be. Uh, it's 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 the local fisherman's tavern, but it's also it's not only that. It's just uh, it's the place in town where everybody goes. But it's also you know all the all the people who work down at the docks and stuff and the cannery. They all go there. Um, I, I like that description for it and it's dark and and it's you know smoky, smoky glass yeah yeah that's great uh willie introduces barnabas to rob clarney who has four boats 
He sells his catch to LVT, we learn. Barnabas says, uh, to make a deal with LVT is to make a deal with the devil. No, not the devil. A monster from beneath the waves, its tentacles and teeth waiting to destroy you. It already has you in its grasp. You're so afraid of being sucked into the abyss that you ignore the human sacrifices. Willie adds, they killed Bill Malloy. Willie points to a wall filled with photos of local dead. Willie continued, and Frank Harris, Tom McHale. Barnabas announces, you know, about the LVT, um, chair people that their heart has been ripped out, but a new crop will rise, says, says one of the fishermen. Barnabas says, then we will cut them down. A single dark-haired fisherman, Smith, listens silently. Barnabas is getting all the other fishermen riled up uh, against LVT. <clears throat> Who will say no more? Almost everyone, no more. But there's this Smith listening uh, secretly, uh, paying attention to what's going on, but not really responding. Uh, then at the docks at dusk, things are going great at the cannery. Roger says, dozen more boats waiting to dock with full nets. Elizabeth says, add two more shifts at the cannery. Roger says, they don't have enough workers. They don't have enough cans. Elizabeth suggests going to the football game and offering $30 to any man who can work tonight to the foreman, rip the steel roof off the West building and make more cans. Smith uh, on the payphone, the dark haired guy we met at the bar. Uh, he's on a payphone. He says, we've got to reach out to the elders. The whole Collins family has to die on his wrist as a tattoo, the Leviathan symbol. <laughs> There's too much tuna. Yeah. <laughs> rip the roof off the building and make I'm sure that's sanitary. Oh, over at Wincliffe, uh, Maggie's in a patient's uniform and a drugged stupor. Uh, the orderlies force her to take pills. We move, move through days and weeks. This is insane. We get uh, days and weeks of a montage of Maggie at the center as the sanitarium swirls around her. She eats, sleeps, takes pills, watches Tom and Jerry, plays checker, and stares at, a, at an obese psychiatrist. It says, sun goes up and then down. Thanksgiving comes Christmas. Now it's Christmas. Uh, she stares at the blinking lights and we transition to Collinwood. It's Christmas. Okay, so big, big no-no, I think. We never had, you know, these kinds of holidays in the show, Halloween, Christmas. They mentioned Halloween, I think, one time. And Christmas during the Leviathans, there was kind of, there was a reference to it, but it's, they didn't really do Christmas at Collinwood, so I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, anyway, I guess. Personally, it's okay. I I never liked the uh, the focus on the pop culture of the time in Dark Shadows, mm -hmm. but I don't mind uh, recognizing the actual the changing of the seasons. Agreed. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not just not sure. I feel how I feel about you know a Christmas yeah, with Barnabas watching them decorate the tree is kind of weird. David and Elizabeth decorate the tree. Willie and Roger <laughs> struggle to untangle lights. Um, seated on a piano bench, Barnabas watches with quiet joy. Hoffman enters with eggnog. Julia says it's the family recipe. Barnabas says by the smell of it, her family is scotch. Ugh. <laughs> Hoffman says, Mr. Gloomy told a joke. Um, Roger, write that down. Uh, David sees an old box of ornaments. Um, they're silhouettes. Elizabeth pulls one out. It's Sarah Collins. Uh, Barnabas asks to see it. Um, uh, it's dated, he says, 1789. She would have been eight. Julia is hanging shiny silver balls on the tree. The room is reflected in them, but she doesn't see Barnabas. Oh, cute. <laughs> Patrick's cat just jumped in. His <laughs> What's your cat's name, Patrick? Lincoln. Lincoln. Hi, Lincoln. Lincoln. Lincoln wants to hear about the John August script, too. He does. Yeah. 
Okay, so Julia doesn't see Barnabas reflected in the uh, ornament. In the foyer, Barnabas is getting ready to leave. Julia asks him if he ever comes over during the day. He says he's busy with work. She says, what work? Private enterprise, he says. Julia says he's in private practice uh, herself and specializes in blood disorders like David's, like yours, she says. Barnabas says it's bad form to diagnose without examination. She says, luckily, she keeps late hours. We cut to the basement treatment room. Uh, so Barnabas doesn't react threateningly to being sort of confronted with uh, being a vampire here. He's willing to get checked out. Barnabas is stripped to the waist and listens. Uh, Julia listens with a stethoscope. She asks how he came to be this way. A woman, he says. Hoffman replies, um, uh, had no idea it was that kind of disease. Ugh bad jokes. Uh, there are some bad jokes in here, as you can see. Um, he says, no, uh, he says, a witch, she cursed me. Hoffman, did you love her? Barnabas, no. Hoffman, but she loved you. Barnabas, and why are you so certain? Hoffman replies, if she merely hated you, she would have killed you. A curse takes devotion. Julia attaches leeches to Barnabas. It's how she found the counter agent to David's condition, silver. She plans uh, to start with garlic for Barnabas. Can he be cured, he asks. Cure, no. Treat, almost certainly, she says. I, uh, hmm? Yeah. I think the garlic line is sort of, she says that kind of as a joke. Probably, I, that's the way yeah. I interpreted that. Yeah, probably so. I mean, it probably probably was meant as a joke. Yeah. Um, you know, um, although maybe just, not, just who knows? It very seriously. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It might not have been a joke. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's hard hard to say, um, but you're probably, you're probably right. Uh, given this portrayal of Julia, it probably was. Um, she, uh, let's see, uh, cure no, treat almost certainly. You feed on blood, pure human essence. We purify the blood, we purify the soul. Barnabas, salvation, Julia, science. The leech wriggles, well, almost science. Uh, over at Wincliffe, Maggie sits across from Professor Norman Standers. He's doing the ESP uh, Zenner card test with her. Um, and she sees behind him the ghost of Clarence Washington, the ghost of a man who died in a boiler accident at Wincliffe. Uh, Maggie calls on him for his help, calls him for his help. Uh, he's helping her with the cards by doing these charades. This is a, a ridiculous scene. It's played kind of for laughs. I mean, it's a ghost who's doing charades behind. Also, this is a, a horribly, horribly disfigured ghost who died in a boiler explosion. Yes. And like half his face is in ribbons. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a really <laughs> gross description. I didn't, I didn't write that down, but yeah, it's a gross description and he's doing charades behind the psychiatrist. So that Matt, cause Maggie can't, can't really see the, the, the cards, you know? So he's. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If they now, if we're going to be commonsensical about this, because these are matters of science, if they can't see the ghost, they can't hear the ghost either. No. So why does the ghost have to play charades? Good point. But the the none, of the none of the ghosts talk. None of the ghosts talk. Though yeah, they're none all of the silent. Ghosts. Yeah. They're all silent. Uh, so far, That's all because of the they're have... they're extras, and it would go <laughs> against SAG rules for them to talk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I like this where she's she's conning him into thinking that she has ESP by yeah. e it's like oh she doesn't have ESP she can just see ghosts <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you've got to make differentiation exactly exactly um, Standers is astounded by uh, how well Maggie does on the test she does astoundingly well but she misses one 
um, uh, because she can't figure out what the ghost is doing. Um, and uh, she says it's because she's tired. She asks him to lower her meds, which he says okay, you know, that can be arranged. Over at the old house in Barnabas's bedroom, it's daytime. Heavy curtains are drawn. Barnabas sits in a chair. Hoffman inserts an IV needle into his arm connected to a bag of blood. Willie asks if it will fix Barnabas. Julia says, it's not a cure. It's a treatment like dialysis. He'll need it regularly. I like that description of how yes, Julia treats I, Barnabas. That makes I like a lot that of sense. A lot too. Yeah, yeah. Um, as new blood reaches Barnabas's veins, he spasms, gags, screams. His hands break the arms of the chair. Willie, you're killing him. Julia, he's already dead. Let it work. Julia says um, if it works, Willie can stop ransacking her blood supply. He says he didn't. Well, only a couple. The boss doesn't eat much. Silly. Um, and then it cuts to the Collins Pond, and we see David kneeling with another empty bag of blood. Steam rises off the surface of the water unnaturally. A woman's hand presses into the mud. A nude form emerges from the water. David pulls one of Carolyn's dresses from his backpack and hands it to the woman. Dark-eyed and sultry, which she's described as, so not blue-eyed, she's dark-eyed and sultry. This is Angelique. Looks early 30s, but everything about her is deceiving. She touches David's face. He flinches. I thought you were my mother. She kisses him on the lips. Ew. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? Kisses him on the lips, smiles. Where is Barnabas? She asks. Uh, first thing she asks, where is Barnabas? Uh, <laughs> so here we have Angelique now. Angelique has... As if there isn't enough happening in this film, we now have Angelique in play. She, she regenerated from the skeleton that was tied to the chair at the bottom of the lake. With blood. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> With, uh, by just pouring blood in the water. Over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, that, like, that, it never, it didn't bother me, the, the plotting of that. I guess when blood is a powerful, magical component. So I suppose that that works. But anyway, I mean, now. What they had, it, it just, it, it's something that's like, yeah, you know, you, you got to do something to get her. Back. To get her in the story. Yeah. I you mean, to it justify was, it somehow. Yeah. Because you got, you have, you got to have Angelique. You here, can't, so. you can't introduce even more things into this. <laughs> You're like, they already have the lab and the blood in uh -huh. the basement. Yeah. Just use that. <laughs> and yet, well, and yet, where the Leviathans are calling on the elders. The elders have a room of relics. They've got Angelique in amber or something like that. You know, <laughs> she hates the Collinses. <laughs> Who better to Release take care him. of them? Release her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that could be mm. something. And uh, and yet, we will have even more things introduced into this. <laughs> into this story as we go along as we'll see so back at the old house it's daytime the door opens barnabas willie and with willie and julia beside him stands half lit in the long shadows of the winter sun barnabas slowly steps outside holds hands up over his face and watches in wonder as sun spills around each finger julia that's enough barnabas we don't want to overdo it Barnabas, tears in his eyes, grabs Julia by the shoulders. She gasps. Barnabas, you've made me a new man. He kisses her. She flutters. Barnabas tells Julia to buy herself a gown. And then parentheses says, wedding gown? Um, something that will inspire envy in any woman who sees it. Julia thinking, oh, there it is. Julia thinking wedding gown says, why? And then we cut to 
printed invitation, New Year's masquerade ball at Collinwood. The invitation goes into an envelope. The family seal presses into wax. Collinwood Grand Ballroom Day. So we have the Grand Ballroom at Collinwood, which is going to be a prominent um, uh, thing here that we're going to be seeing again and again. Uh, the Grand Ballroom. There's a montage uh, now, a montage scene. Barnabas walks in with Roger and Elizabeth opening the shutters on the neglected formal hall. There's a painting crew painting up the room. Electrician wires the big chandelier overhead. Elizabeth walks with the event planner around the room. Barnabas and David get fitted for new tuxedos. The tailor pricks him. There's a drop of blood. Barnabas licks the blood and savors it. That This all feels very, even though this scene didn't exist in the Burton film, uh, it feels yeah, I... very much like it would have been a kind of thing that you would have seen. So there are things in here. There's, there are things that I would consider problematic scenes that don't really don't feel dark shadows that kind of stick out like a sore thumb to me. They kind of jump out at me, but um, that that being one of them. Um, and then we cut to Northeast Drive-In outside of Boston. There's a sailor at a payphone. A waitress carries a tray of food to a green Buick. Professor well, when, she said, when she says drive-in, she means like a drive-in diner where they Correct. come out yes. and roller skates to your car exactly yes yep not mm -hmm. a movie theater drive-in yeah right yes exactly yeah thank you yeah it's yeah it's one of those um sonic i think they they actually in the script they say a sonic like yeah yeah it's like one of those old-fashioned like car hops you know it's a car hop yeah. where they come out and bring the food to your car uh, the waitress carries the tray of food to green beauty professor standards and maggie are in the car <clears throat> maggie's hands are cuffed Standers opens a wallet to pay for the food, and Maggie sees a picture of his family, his wife, little boy, dog. Sanders says uh, they're headed to Cambridge. There'll be a, it'll be a terrific show you can do in a controlled environment. So he wants to show off her ESP skills. Maggie pretends to have a vision about a dog and a boy who was chasing after the dog, and there was a screech and glass breaking. Um, the boy was was the boy hit by the car? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. So she's playing on this photo she saw and trying to scare Standers and to freak him out that basically that his son's going to get killed in a car accident. Standers, his heart pounding, looks to the payphone and says he'll be right back. Maggie uses the opportunity to hotwire the car and escape, which is an impressive feat in handcuffs. I don't, I don't know how she yeah, managed. She, no, yeah, she scrapes the wire, the, the coating off the wire with like the plastic knife that yeah. comes with the meal. Yes, in yeah, in handcuffs, no less. It, it, wow, Maggie's I hope there's a, a snare drum, like it's some sort of gag that she's doing, you know, with a cymbal crash when the car starts. Yeah. It's like, whoa, this is it's like a scene out of, a, I don't know, MacGyver or something. I don't know, which is using the little plastic knife to, to get out of there. Okay, so Grand Ballroom, Colin, when we cut back to that, we're not, the ball is in full swing now. The trumpet leads the band. Guests dance their way into 1971. It's a masquerade ball, but in the most subdued East Coast sense. They're tuxes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I laughed when I read that. I'm like, oh, geez. Tuxes, gowns, eye masks. David gets three desserts in the kitchen. He goes um, to the dining room. He sees Willie trying on a mask and uh, playing with imag doing imaginary guns. He's doing a Lone Ranger bit. And he asks David if he wants to be Tonto. David walks. with Ignores him. He ignores him, walks with the three plates of dessert, goes down to the treatment room by himself and watches the ball drop on TV alone. Um, over at the Collinwood garage, Maggie is there using a hacksaw and a vice to cut through the cuffs. Uh, she does so and then pulls the revolver out from under the seat. In the ballroom, Barnabas, who is masked, stands at a railing on the of the mezzanine, scanning 
Angelique in mask approaches, not really acknowledging him. So this is the first scene we have now with Barnabas and Angelique. They flirt sexually and there are a bunch of lines back and forth. Angelique says, tell me a lie. Barnabas says, I want to be alone. Your turn, Angelique. I want to talk all night. Yeah, I haven't noticed I only want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Angelique says, I haven't noticed you watching me. I haven't thought about what your hand would feel yeah. like on my thigh. Barnabas, I just want to talk all night. I'm sorry, John August, if you're listening, come on. It's the, this, the flirty dialogue between Barnabas and Angelique. It wasn't working for me, but maybe others would, would differ in their opinion on that. I don't know. Um, but um, it seems it's little... no Drew Barrymore and Tom Green dialogue <laughs> like you mastered in, in Charlie's Angels. Now that's, <laughs> that's, that's heat and wit. <laughs> now now you're making me think that of tom green as barnabas and drew barrymore as angelique thanks for putting that visual I, I'd, I'd watch that okay so bar, i just uh ballroom elizabeth roger and hoffman chat and drink maggie enters wearing a mask and the uniform of the waiters she spots sarah's ghost urging her to follow over in Liz's private office, Barnabas and Angelique are pressed against the wall. Barnabas's mouth is at her neck. Maggie enters, pulls out a gun, and says to get away. She removes her mask. She says, I know what you are. Barnabas says she's mistaken. Barnabas says, wouldn't a sharp wooden stake be better or a pencil? <laughs> she shoots. To his surprise, the gunshot wounds him in the chest. He bleeds, falls to the ground. But did I say that Maggie shoots him three times in the script? I don't remember if it was three times or once. I can't. I didn't. Uh, it has to be one time. I thought oh, it was one because there was one just... single silver. No, but David has the silver bullet. Later, we find out David took the silver bullet. So, well, there's gone... still five left in the gun. She only took one bullet out in the beginning. Oh, true, true. And if it, yeah. So I don't know how many times. I don't remember. Well, that was months ago. Yeah, yeah, she shot him in the. In any case, she shot him in the chest, and he went down. Much to his surprise, he falls to the ground. I don't know if that's because she shot him with a silver bullet, or if it's because of Julia's treatments. I'm not sure what they did. I mean, it can be both. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Angelique screams. Maggie steps into the hall, and Sarah looks at her with horrified eyes. Uh, this was. This is not what Sarah wanted to to happen here. Uh, I think Sarah was trying to warn her about Angelique. Um. Two cops enter as Maggie makes it to the drawing room and opens the secret panel. She races down the steps to find David alone watching TV. She asks him if there's another way out. The police are pounding at the door. Basement, underhouse, labyrinthine cellar, much of which hasn't been updated in two centuries. And this labyrinth cellar reminds me of the, you know, in the Leviathan storyline when Maggie gets lost in the basement, this maze-like basement under Collinwood. And that's they kind of that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's, it hasn't been updated in two centuries. David knows the way by heart. Willie and the officers open a bookcase, which reveals a secret entrance to the underhouse. David's uh we see David go to a hiding spot that he has. It's a little warren with hand-drawn maps of the underhouse, arrowheads, pipes, and lots and lots of animal skulls on shelves. Maggie spots the silver bullet from the station wagon. He asks her, why'd you come back? She says, Barnabas killed Carolyn and a lot of other people. David says, maybe he didn't mean to kill them. Maybe he couldn't help it. They discuss the fact that she is Maggie. She used to babysit him when she was four. He admits to her that he killed her father. He was the one who killed her father. He says he didn't mean to, but he couldn't control what he is. So he tells Maggie, he says that he killed Sam. Um, the flashlights sweep 
Willie and the police get closer. David says, you have to go, directs her to a ladder that leads to the pantry. Uh, he gives her these directions that left, right, etc. Maggie tries to follow David's directions, but it's dark. Suddenly she stumbles on a set of wooden stairs. Light spills around the edges at the top of the stairs. It's not the ladder David talked about, but it is an escape. The police are close. Maggie races up the steps. Police turn the corner to find an old collapsed staircase. The stairs fell in at least a century ago. They find Maggie's footprints on the first two steps, then nothing. So we know Dark Shadows fans, you probably guess what this is. It is Quentin's stairway into time. Well, although they don't call it Quentin's stair. It is a stairway into time that Maggie has gone up. It's Collinwood. Of course, there's a stairway into time. So um, Elizabeth's back in Elizabeth's private office. Barnabas gurgles. He's mortally wounded. There's a crowd around him. Angelique is there. Julia whispers to him that she can save him, but she has to take him back to the way he was. Barnabas replies that if he dies, he shall die as a man. Barnabas passes out. We cut to the hospital. The dating game is on television. Jim, Jim Lang, Barnabas is watching the dating game. It's the Karen Carpenter 1970 appearance. Barnabas watches from the hospital bed, fascinated. Angelique appears in the doorway with a bottle of champagne. You missed the toast. Uh, Barnabas describes the show he's watching as a play. Um, Barnabas and Angelique have a scene together. She refers to Maggie as, um, as a jealous lover. She asks if she's a jealous lover. He said she was a servant. He hardly knew her. She replies, do servants you hardly know often try to kill you? Yes, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Yeah. <laughs> they toast to new beginnings. He does not appear to know that she is Angelique, strangely. Uh, he, uh, she introduces her- Thank you her... for saying that now, because yeah. the first couple times I read this script, it took me a while to figure mm. out what the heck was going on. Exactly. Like the first time she has the, the mask on, it's at the masquerade, I guess, but then she's not masked here and he doesn't appear to recognize her. Of course, we're going to find out a little later what's going on, but it's strange yeah. at like, first. Yeah. She, in this scene in the hospital- he asks her what her name is and she says angel and he just angel. takes that at face value it's like yeah. okay yeah so, yeah exactly he, uh, she just she she introduces herself as angel yeah and so he just mm -hmm. barnabas isn't really cognizant of the fact that this is angelique exactly yeah yep mm -hmm. now we cut from this after she introduces herself he introduces himself she introduces herself and now we cut to a montage as another montage, <laughs> as many months, several months go by, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Our House plays, which is the most non-Dark Shadows song I could think of. <laughs> but okay, I mean, it's, a, it's from the era, but yeah. So it's plays over this montage um, of silent Super 8 footage. David is filming this. Will we see Willie pull up in the Cadillac. Elizabeth is dressed formally. Uh, we cut over to the blue whale. Barnabas and Angelique are drinking beer in the blue whale and they look very happy. No, <laughs> I think that was my exact reaction as I was reading that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, yeah this, was... <laughs> this montage is was weird for me to follow because it, it is a like a double montage. There's two montages happening at the same time that are intersecting each other. Yeah. One montage is of footage of Barnabas and Angelique's wedding which is a super eight footage yeah. and the wedding takes place in like March and then while that montage is happening 
it cuts back and forth between other scenes of a montage where it's like Barnabas and Angelique connecting and getting mm -hmm. to know each other and like falling in love with each other yes. before the wedding in the months preceding the wedding. But that's spliced with footage of the wedding and you're just getting all of that information at the same time, mm -hmm. non-linearly. And yeah. it's not like, I, I'm trying to picture what it would be like watching this visually and being able to parse what I'm seeing. And I, I can't, I think I would not get it. They didn't need, they didn't need a time staircase. If the two montages should happen to meet, a natural aperture through time will form <laughs> and will be sucked back it to the first the reel. Streams. As, yeah, yeah. as Samwise describes exactly what's happened in the prior <laughs> and we're all the way back to the beginning and they're yeah. forming Barnabas's ring and it's just yeah. it's a mishigash I'm telling yeah. you and speaking of Barnabas's ring we're going to see some action with Barnabas's ring too for no reason but we'll, we'll they'll get to that it was just a random thing I'm like why did they do that but anyway um okay so um we continue with this montage of uh, uh, blue whale sure. uh smith is at the blue whale the stealthy leviathan he takes a picture of them with his camera uh we cut to a small white church barnabas stands with elizabeth uh roger and david uh they take a photo in the collinwood drawing room elizabeth uh, meets angelique and sizes her up uh david makes eye contact and quickly averts his gaze because of course he knows exactly she came out of the water uh, after he helped resurrect her. Uh, we cut to the small white church. R uh, Roger and Willie are the groomsmen for Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas and Angelique hold hands in the moonlight. Angelique walks down the aisle in a white dress with blood red roses. Julia is icy. Barnabas gets a transfusion. Angelique enters. Julia reacts with alarm. Barnabas says, it's all right. They vowed not to keep secrets from each other. They get married through a shower of rose petals and drive away. Uh, at the old house, Barnabas and Angelique make love. She runs her fingers through his hair. Then we cut to the bathroom. Angelique, by candlelight, examines a single hair. She ties it around a small figurine, murmuring a spell. A silver knife cut, cuts a small animal that screams. Angelique dips her fingers in the blood and draws symbols on her skin with it. She looks in the mirror as the blood absorbs into her skin. In the bedroom, Barn she climbs back into bed with Barnabas, who wraps his arms around her. She smiles. So Angelique's up to her old tricks here with the with the little uh, Rudoo doll that she's using here, the poppet that she's using. Um, now, flashback. <laughs> there is a flashback to a scene that just happened in the movie a little <laughs> while back. So flashback to the stairway uh, through time that Maggie runs up and she pushes open the door. So uh, it, it's it's not like a flashback it's just like we Brief. cut back to that which happened in media res like well yeah i guess she's continuing to run up yeah i guess it cuts back because that yeah. happened a while ago now i mean well at we're least, looping around back to that we're looping Brief, back yeah. to that yeah um sarah we're following at home uh, yes <laughs> if you're still listening we're, we're definitely in part two right now of this uh, of this two-part <laughs> episode uh, flashback to this. Uh, okay, so anyway, Maggie runs up, pushes open the door. Collinwood Construction, 1790. Outside, day. She looks back to the stairs, which are now only half complete. The upper st stories and roof of Collinwood are missing. It's still under construction. She catches her reflection in the window, wearing 18th century dress. Most alarming is her face. She is the young woman who leaped from the cliff at the start of the story. Sarah, alive, calls her name. Josette, Josette. 
Sarah leads her to the Easter church picnic. Children are on an Easter egg hunt. Parishioners are there. She leads uh, Maggie slash Vicky slash Josette to the, to, to the man who, to a man who has his back turned. It is the living Barnabas. Barnabas says, the reverend is going to announce our engagement. He takes her hand. She pulls away. Barnabas asks, what's wrong? Suddenly a young boy screams. He's covered in spiders. They're swarming all over him. A girl screams and she drops her Easter egg. Spiders stream out of it. The boy falls convulsing, then dies. A man closes the boy's eyes. This is Reverend Trask. He says it was no accident, a sign, a challenge. The devil chose New England for his work and God chose us to fight. Witchery is suspected. Barnabas waves over a servant and says to go get Miss Dupre's things. This servant is Angelique. Over at the old house, to Josette's room, day 1790. A small music box plays. So we got Josette's music box here. Um, Maggie looks in a mirror, unnerved to be a stranger. Now this is the she's roughly the same age, but Josette is more delicate. So this is this is where things kind of get confusing because as we talked about earlier, it said earlier in the Barnabas seems to recognize her as Josette. Um but, but yet they're not dead ringers for each other. Maybe they look similar to each other. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. They there was a similarity there, but um, but it says a stranger in the mirror, maybe just the way she's dressed. I, I don't know. Um, I, mean, I, I always interpreted this as it being that Maggie has like quantum leaped into Josette here mm -hmm. when she walks up the staircase. She, she yeah. did not physically go to 1790 in her own body, but she is yeah. in the body of Josette. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And there is still some Josette there, but it's mostly Maggie. Yeah. She uh, quantum leaping into Josette is exactly the right way to describe it. Best way that. to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't coexist as two beings there. Uh, music box plays. She, um, so Angelique enters the room. Ma uh, shuts the, uh, Maggie shuts the music box. They speak French to each other, much to Maggie's surprise. She can speak French. Angelique says, men look for witches, but they are the monsters. Bar Maggie says that Barnabas is not a monster, not now. Angelique says he's a good man and that she is very lucky, but of course, we know Angelique's not into this. Uh, bedroom hallway, old house, Barnabas walks, unfastening his cuffs. Angelique intercepts him and kisses him on the mouth. He pushes her away, repulsed. Angelique, you used to like my kisses. Barnabas, before, before I knew the lies that mouth could tell. They argue over Josette. She threatens to tell her he seduced her. Barnabas says, ah, do flies catch spiders now? Uh, Angelique says they know that Josette is not enough woman to please him. She, she grabs his belt. Um, he says blackmail brought her into this house, but it's not enough to get her into his bed. He thinks she's a serpent. If she, if he took the time to know her, he would love her. She says a month, a year, a century is not enough time. There is not enough time in the world to love her. Uh, so we have this tense scene with Angelique and Barnabas over in Josette's room. Sarah enters and says, this was, this is later now in Josette's room. Sarah enters and says she has to come with her hurry. So she's in a panic. She calls Josette. Uh, and then we go down to the old house drawing room. Barnabas is at the piano. Barnabas, we wrote a song, Sarah. He wrote it. Um, she says Barnabas wrote it about Josette. It, she, Barnabas says it's the only inspiration we could both agree on. Barnabas plays. It's a simple melody, like a child, like in a child's exercise book. Barnabas plays, and Sarah takes her place, delighted at the chance to perform. And I'm just going to read the first couple lines of the song here because we're going to 
this is going to come up later. The moon is bright, the stars they shine, a candle burns by night it's fine, to read a book of happy lovers, stories lived between the covers. Maggie can't help but be charmed by the song and the genuine affection between big brother and little sister. Um, as the sweet song continues, so it goes on, there's this sweet little song that they do together. We cut to the forest uh, as the song is going on. Angelique is on the ground chanting and dragging her fingers through the dirt. She seems possessed. She cups her hands and something seems to move inside. She smiles. The song continues through this, this melody, a cute scene with Barnabas and Sarah being playful with each other. The nanny takes Sarah off to bed and she doesn't want to go, of course. But when she's when Sarah's gone, Barnabas notice that, notices that Josette seems different. Maggie comments that Sarah really loves him. Maggie is conflicted. She decides to warn Barnabas that something terrible is going to happen. Barnabas doesn't seem to understand this. Then in Barnabas's bedroom that night, Barnabas finds a wrapped present. He lifts it. There's no bottom, but there is a bat. <laughs> it flies. <laughs> yeah, I, I chuckled when I read this part. Yeah, the present, the, the gift of the bat. It flies around in circles and it attacks him, biting him. Yeah, <laughs> it's a reference, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, the Leviathan box when they, they put oh, the Oh, right. Yeah, the true, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah except it's, it's, this one's gift wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, he throws the bat to the floor and steps on it, smashing it. He looks at the wound on his throat in the mirror and then spots Angelique standing behind him. She says, do you like your gift? It's time, all the time in the world. Barnabas charges at her, but then passes out before he can reach her. So as he passes out, we cut to the present, to Hoffman's face. There's a problem. So we're back in 1971 in Barnabas's bedroom. Barnabas's body is counteracting the serum before it can take effect. Barnabas wants her to give him more, but she says it would kill him. Willie comments that you said he was already dead. Barnabas suggests uh, that it, this is she's acting this way because she's jealous and he sees the hatred in her eyes for Angelique. She says it isn't about feelings, it's about science. Barnabas leaps out of the chair. He turns to smoke for a moment, then slams her against the wall. Barnabas gets violent and bears his fangs, about to bite her. He accuses her of feeding the curse. So Barnabas is kind of going back into vampire mode here and threatening to uh, kill Julia here. Uh, David, though, who has been watching secretly this whole time, yells, stop. He says she's telling the truth. The cure doesn't work. Not forever. David tells Hoffman, admits to her that he's been changing for the last three years voluntarily. Um, she asks why didn't he say something? He said he didn't want to be chained up. Uh, he says, but he didn't kill Carolyn. He shoots a knowing look at Barnabas when he says that. Uh, Barnabas walks over to the corner. His reflection is now missing from the mirror. Julia tells Willie that she'd like a ride to the train station. So Julia wants to get the heck out of here. She le They leave Barnabas alone with David. Barnabas expresses regret for David's condition. It says it runs in the family. David says it's okay. He likes what he is. So this is the only background we get about David being a werewolf, like why he's a werewolf. It runs in the family, uh, which I suppose is true. Uh, <laughs> I asked Chris Jennings. It, it, it technically. It, it, technically, it does. Uh, train stop. Uh, the Cadillac uh, pulls up. It's snowing. Julia puts on her gloves, talking to Willie. Julia asks, what is it about this family? Why do they waste their time trying to make them happy when they know it's impossible? Willie agrees and says Barnabas wouldn't be happy being happy. Willie and Julia are on the same page. Uh, they're both griping about the Collins family, about Barnabas. They're, they're definitely on the same page. Suddenly there's a pause. 
Julia then kisses Willie on the mouth. They're both surprised by how much they like it. <laughs> so yes, this was quite the curveball. I mean, I knew it was coming going into it, but yeah. just yeah, big brain, yeah. big brain time. Yeah, I was not uh, when I you know first heard about this. It was definitely not something I expected. Uh, I mean, the Leviathans was top shock maybe but this was very close <laughs> it's like willie and willie and julia getting it on okay so uh so motel hallway julia is now in a japanese robe <laughs> she feels <laughs> so there's there you go everyone willie and julia are now officially tasteful cutaway yeah tasteful, <laughs> tasteful cutaway to the uh <laughs> Post, yeah, Julia in a Japanese robe, filling up an ice bucket. She spots two men in black wool coats walk by. They knock on a door. Hoffman uh, walks by as the door opens and she notices eight more men in black coats inside the room. There are blueprints on the bed. Smith, the Leviathan from the Blue Whale is there. Hoffman never met him and has no reason to be concerned, so she keeps going. Willie is watching TV. He says they're calling it the storm of the decade. The roads are closed. Hoffman says she has no place to be, shuts the door. <laughs> so they're going for round two, apparently. Um, there's a match cut now to 1790 as the door closes. Maggie and Angelique are both shackled. They're brought, so there's been a time jump now. So Maggie and Angelique are both shackled. They're brought to inquisitors in the small white church. Reverend Trask is there. He asks if they both confess to witchery. Maggie says no. Angelique just smiles. Abigail Smith was attacked in her sleep. She describes the monster as smoke and teeth. Abigail's father stands and says he saw the spirit fly back to Collinwood. So clearly this is Barnabas. Trask says that um, Josette and Angelique live there alone since Barnabas disappeared. Angelique says there's also Sarah. So she's throwing Sarah under the bus here. Uh, uh, Maggie says, slash Josette says she's just a little girl. Trask, of course, being Trask, he says the devil often chooses the weak and they should bring Sarah to court. Trask asks which uh, which one of them is guilty. Neither answers. There's some scene here where they use trickery to make, they put crosses in their hands and their hands both, both Josette. Yeah, it's like some, some chemical reaction out the middle and it's cool. like, oh, the cross left a mark on your palm. That means you're guilty. Yeah, their hand turned blue. They it left a blue mark on their hand, so they're both guilty. But they did this intentionally because Trask wants to persecute them, apparently. So, which Yeah, I'm not surprised. quite sure how that all ties in or furthers the Leviathan goals, but... I don't know either, yeah. Like, like you know, the, the getting in control of industries... And just like building wealth and power, I get that, but I'm not really sure what they're accomplishing here. Doesn't they need a sacrifice? Yeah, but it's to like be... bring about the Leviathan God. Or but something. it's yeah, Sarah. They, they Sarah. Sarah. But Sarah. with uh, Maggie and Angelique, they just dunk them in a pond and leave them there. Yeah, yeah. There's so no. It's yeah. Not like they, they. It's not like they tagged them for uh, ritual sacrifice. They were just like getting them out of the way. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So we cut to Collins Pond, uh, uh, 1790. Maggie and Angelique are bound to witch chairs attached to long wooden beam. And uh, the arm is designed to plunge underwater. Sarah screams through tears for Josette. Angelique says Barnabas can't save her while the sun is shining. Maggie then realizes that Angelique knows he's a vampire. They're plunged underwater and then they come back up. Trask asks if they confess. 
They don't. The arm swings back down underwater. Maggie sees a face. It's Barnabas. He's under the water. <laughs> Barnabas is just he hanging out down there. into her mouth. Yeah, yes. Um, he's under the water. Uh, yeah, he blows air and they ba- go back up. Uh, Trask wants them to confess. Uh, Angelique, uh, he says, let God show you mercy. Angelique says, which God, Trask, the sea God you worship, sacrificing virgins? Plunged again. Barnabas cuts Maggie's rope. Angelique sees Barnabas and struggles against her ropes, but he doesn't free her. Barnabas wants Maggie to swim after him underwater and follow. Trask leaves the witch chairs underwater, assuming both witches are drowned. Um, the church, he said, announces that the church will take Sarah into custody and Colin would too. Underwater, Maggie, uh, we see Maggie breathing through a hollow reed. She's under the water, breathing through a reed. I think uh, Lara Parker did this in her, and Angelique's descent, no, no, and Salem Branch, the Salem, she did something very similar where, yeah, yeah, a very similar kind of scene here. The bank of the pond at dusk, Barnabas climbs out of the water and she kisses him because he's been underwater because he had to wait till dark. Um, He has a boat waiting in the harbor, he says, but he must get Sarah first. We are now at Collinwood, the Collinwood construction site at dusk. Maggie waits for Barnabas pacing. Maggie slash Josette, rather. The doors swing open. She sees a staircase. Young Sarah is looking up at her. Uh, Barnabas, uh, she yells that Barnabas is looking for her. Um, Maggie rushes down the staircase to Shara, uh, Sarah, but when she reaches the bottom, she realizes that this is ghostly Sarah, not the living Sarah. She looks back up and sees Josette at the top of the stairs back in the past. They're now separated into two people again. No, Maggie yells. Josette shuts the door, unaware. So... Maggie is now back in the present day. Um, we are, our 1790 flashback is over. Uh, our visit to 1790. It's unclear whether it's um, the type of time travel where nothing, it, it's almost more like the kind of 1897 time travel where the present is happening concurrently to yeah. the events in the past. Yeah, yep. And, and like, then, I think so, right? Because I like the party still, the party's over at this point, right? When Maggie gets back. Oh, yeah. Still- yeah, yeah, it's it's we're now at the confrontation scene between Barnabas and Angelique. Yeah, so, yeah, so it is like the 1897. Yeah, time is yeah. still passed. She's come back now after a significant amount of time has passed. Yeah. But um, the whole purpose of that was so that she could see how Bar- that, what Barnabas was like when he was yeah. alive. And yeah, so Collinwood Grand Ballroom night. Angelique is alone looking out the window at the blizzard. Barnabas appears behind her suddenly. He has no reflection. She tries to kiss him, but he averts. She reaches for a hard object that she notices in his belt. He says, take it out. She does. It's a wooden stake. He tells her to drive it through his heart. She says she won't kill him. He says, no, that would require mercy. He pulls out the voodoo doll she was using earlier. The charade is over. This, this is your method, he says, says, spells and curses to make me love me, make me love you, to take my soul. He throws the doll. Angelique says she never made him love her. She just made him forget their history so they could start anew, which is really interesting. Uh, It's, they would have naturally would have fallen in love according to this, how this plays out here. Um, So they could start. Hmm? I said, makes you think. Right, right. Yeah, it's inter- It's an interesting twist here. Uh, Barnabas says, we are too old to start new. You have done too much to be forgiven. Uh, she calls him a hypocrite. 
salvation and uh, he talks about salvation and how he will transform himself. What about her? He says, she's made the devil's deal. She says, for you, uh, Angelique says, women are destroyed by loving him, her, his mother, Sarah. He gets, Barnabas becomes furious. He says, you do not say her name. Uh, she walks these halls. Um, she, she, Angelique taunts him. She says, she walks these halls, Barnabas. She drowned waiting for you. Um, enraged, Barnabas slams her against the wall, choking her. She asks, do you want to kill me more than anything on earth? He says, yes. She says, good. Now you know how it feels to be denied. The windows blast open and gales of snow fly into the room. The chandelier crashes through the floor, not to the floor, through the floor. Uh, Barnabas is choking nothing. Angelique has vanished physically. She's, she's vanished physically, but her voice can be heard. She says that if he tells her that he loves her, she will lift the curse. Never, he says. She leaves. She's gone. Alone. He screams. So this is despair now. Barnabas screams. Maggie climbs up through the chandelier floor hole. So Maggie's back. She climbs up through this hole in the floor. Uh, <laughs> I guess they had to get her into the scene somehow. So she climbs up through the hole in the floor. Barnabas says there's a wooden stake around here somewhere if she wants to take a second, if she wants a second chance at him. She says she doesn't want to kill him. He says it's a mistake because he very much wants to kill her. When all hope drains away, he says, what is left is not despair, but freedom. He's basically caving uh, to being a, being a monster. He's embracing being a monster at well, this point. I, I interpreted it as he was trying to say things to get her to stake him. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, interpretation. That might be it. Because uh, he doesn't, he doesn't her. kill her. He doesn't actually kill her. Like you're yeah, probably no, right. No, no. He's just he's trying taunting. to goad her into this. Yeah. 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 Um, good point. Good point. Um, uh, so he says, well, "When all hope dreams away, what is left is not despair but freedom." Then he flicks his ring, which ricochets around the room. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> just because yeah, he just it's launches cool. the ring at like 200 miles an hour and. <laughs> all over the room why why does he do this it's like we have i don't understand why that happened but okay if we're, they wanted to get a special effect in there but they wanted um, to do like one of those 3d like made 3d shots of the ring yeah. like zooming at you and right 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 <laughs> originally he was just gonna play music on the glasses by running his <laughs> finger around the lid and just charm them all but he couldn't pull that off yeah. and so they did a special effect with the ring i would have preferred the music <laughs> same yeah. same um he says uh she he says he's a monster she says no you're not barnabas says then let me prove it i will kill half the world and leave the other half undead a great nation of the damned and i shall be their emperor she says he isn't evil smoke fangs uh smoke he turns to smoke bears his fangs goes for her neck he says how can you be so sure with a saint's conviction she whispers sings the moon is bright the stars they shine a candle burns by night, it's fine. So the song that Barnabas sang with Sarah in the past, Barnabas is stunned, defanged, and disbelieving. Could she really be the woman he loves? She continues singing. He kisses her. Collinwood is now nestled in snow, cozy. Just this cozy image of Collinwood. And we cut to Maggie's bedroom. Maggie and Barnabas are in bed. They did it. Barnabas is asleep and tranquil. See, I have problems with this. Like Barnabas has now reverted back to being a vampire. So I don't think Barnabas should be able to have sex in the traditional way with a human like it's just not 
in keeping with he's on dead right so when he's it's in keeping with this movie this movie yeah where the final version of this movie goes so it, it wasn't a big shock to me good point good point um this is i'd rather have this than the final version so. true yeah agreed uh maggie uh sees sarah's ghost pointing insistently out the window we see the collinwood grounds at dawn 10 snowmobiles are making their way toward the mansion here here it comes folks <laughs> 10 snowmobiles are making their way toward the mansion barnabas is already beside maggie watching leviathans upstairs maggie wakes roger and liz liz says what the hell are you doing here of course you know, maggie's been in wincliffe uh she betrayed the family uh lvt wants to kill them says maggie we need to hide liz says like hell she instructs roger to get david out through the basement liz goes into her office and gets the rifle and ammo barnabas is in the entryway just out of the sunlight he says go back to he says to the leviathans go back if you want to live a man in a parker says come out here and say that he pulls back his hood and it's reverend trask still alive Barnabas is stunned. Are you a demon, he asks. Trask says he's just a man with connections, very deep connections. Uh, so Trask is in the present now. Uh, he's Somehow. He's, he's been alive. Trask survived. Yes. What's that line from the, the most recent Star Wars was like, somehow Palpatine survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's that. It's the, it is that. It is totally that. And he's been... Prop, maybe this is, you know, the sacrifices to, to the Leviathan well, you know, it's like creature. He, yeah, he's in good with the leviathans that yeah happened. yeah so there is that that going on so um liz shoots two leviathans from the window um the men with trask fire at barnabas he goes to smoke and rematerializes around the corner the ghost of sarah is with him but he can't see her uh in the kitchen there are gunshots outside maggie roger and david keep low maggie spots the ghost of silas mcgarren she tells David and Roger to go, and she follows Cyrus uh, in the grand ballroom, which is now the the windows are open. There's a bur the burly Leviathan is in the ballroom, and he's shaking gasoline on the walls. Um, so he's going to set it on fire. Back in the kitchen, David tells Roger, "I can stop them." David tells Roger that Hoffman didn't cure him and that he can save them. Roger pauses and says, "Okay." David points to a trap door. Roger understands. Roger goes down the ladder, closes the trap door. From above, Roger hears a roar. The door buckles. They're smashing from above. He hears a howl, but this is no mere howl. It is bone-chillingly primal, an ancient creature unleashed. I'm, I'm thinking probably you know, American Werewolf in London howl. That's, that's what came to mind mm -hmm. when I read that. Um, in the drawing room, uh, the Leviathan, a Leviathan has a gun to Liz's head. Um, he's going to use her as a hostage. Suddenly, Barnabas appears behind um, the Leviathan and sinks his fangs into his neck. Elizabeth sees him at, at his most feral and is unafraid. Suddenly, all the pieces are coming together. Elizabeth, my daughter, Carolyn, you killed her, didn't you? Barnabas, yes. Pauses. I can't be forgiven. Elizabeth, you're right. Elizabeth heads to the foyer with a rifle. So there's more pressing matters than to deal with this, but she acknowledges, there's an acknowledgement between the two of them that this went down. All right, so Grand Ballroom is on fire. It's a uh, destroyed Grand Ballroom. Maggie sneaks through um, the snow. There's snow in the room behind the burly Leviathan. She has a fire iron in her hand, you know, fireplace poker. Uh, shades of uh, Paul Starter getting whacked in the head. Uh, <laughs> he's trying to light the flare. 
has a gut, uh, he's trying to light, uh, light his flare. He has a gun in his waistband, we notice. In the kitchen, we hear claws on linoleum. Uh, we catch a glimpse of the beast reflected in the toaster. In the dining room, we have the werewolf POV. Now, as we're going through the dining room, it's speeding through the room, through the foyer, out the door, into the snow, and aims at the nearest snowmobile and leaps at a driver. And now we see what David has become. It says, most movie werewolves resemble toothy primates, but David is far more lupine with a long body and true claws. His massive jaws hold immense Jurassic teeth. It's this mouth that closes around the driver's head, ripping him from the snowmobile. With two violent shakes, he's decapitated. Uh, and he, David, werewolf David, rips apart his kill. Trask yells to Smith to go back to the road. Back in the grand ballroom, the burly Leviathan tucks his gun in his waistband. The fire iron is in the snow. Maggie has been shot three times. Maggie's got Maggie got shot three times. There's blood off in screen. the what's that? Off, what's that? Off screen. Yeah, off screen. We don't see it happen. It cuts back and she's been shot. There's blood in the snow. She's alive, but her fingers are trembling. Werewolf David chases down more snowmobiles. In the ballroom, Barnabas enters to see the walls aflame. Uh, he spots Maggie. She's in sunlight just out of his reach. Barnabas reaches into the sunlight. His hand catches on fire. He drags Maggie into the shadows, snuffs out the fire in his hand. His hand is blistered and blackened. Barnabas looks into her eyes. Don't be afraid. I can save you. He brushes the hair off her neck. Maggie says, no. Barnabas says, I won't lose you again. Maggie, you can't save me with a curse. Barnabas lowers himself to her neck. Her eyes flare and go still. A beat. He sits up, tears in his eyes. Her neck is untouched. He let her die. So Barnabas didn't turn her. He let he let her die. Uh, and it was pretty cool scene there. Um, you know, with between Barnabas and Maggie, where Maggie says, "You can't save me with a curse." I thought that was kind of kind of an interesting, definitely different from the final film where uh, we we you know she's turned into a vampire. All right. Um, Collinwood, Barn, uh, Roger emerges from the cellar with a blanket wrapped around him to protect himself from the sparks. So Roger didn't do anything. <laughs> He's just been hiding this whole time. Um, Collins Pond, werewolf David rips up a final leviathan, a leviathan, this time stopping to feed. In the distance, Smith and Trask get away on a snowmobile. So Trask escapes. In the drawing room, the piano burns. In the foyer, Barnabas's painting burns. Uh, exterior, Collinwood Day. Later, Roger wraps a blanket around David, who has reverted. For this moment, Roger is simply a father. David is merely his son. They stand in the snow with Elizabeth watching, watching Collinwood burn to the ground. Uh, another thing from that made it into the final film, the destruction of Collinwood. Uh, David, I can go back. I can look for them. Liz, it's too late. The glass blows out the window in the second story. Uh, David, what will we do? Liz, what the Collins family has always done, we endure. There it is again. Slowly, we fly over the burning mansion. The roof is collapsing in. We fly over the ocean faster and faster and faster. Now we're on an exterior London street at night, 1974. So this is three years later now. 1974 in London. A man steps out of a taxi, leaving his passenger to pay the fare. We see the passenger is Willie Loomis, cleaned up and wearing a suit, but still nervous and shifty. Willie, I up, keep it running. Might be quick, open. We follow the first man as he makes his way up the steps to number 11. He rings the doorbell. We notice the distinctive black ring on his finger. A male secretary opens the door. Secretary, you must be the barrister. Your office said you were running late. On the secretary's wrist, we see a leviathan tattoo just under his shirt cuff. Barnabas, the day slipped away. 
Barnabas's POV, a family photo on a side table. It's a picture of Trask with his young wife. The secretary steps aside for Barnabas to enter. Barnabas doesn't move. There's an awkward moment. Secretary, please come in. He's waiting in the study. Barnabas smiles. His foot crosses the threshold. Secretary, can I get you something to drink? Barnabas, his fangs extended. I'm good. The end. <laughs> that's a, that's the last line of the film. The end, yeah. Um, I'm good. I hate, I hate that it ends on Barnabas saying, I'm good. That's t- I, I, me too. Yeah. It's awful. It's like, really? I'm good? No, 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 no. Yeah. It's like, that's the end? So, okay, so this is a lot. If you're still with us, you're a champ. If you, if you made it this far. Um, pat yourself on the back. Pat yourself on the back. We made it through the whole thing. Now, let's uh, let's kind of uh, decompress here and talk a little bit about this ending. One, I, I do have one thing to say about the ending before we go into general, and this is quick. Um, I find it interesting that it's not clear at all whether he actually is able to, um, like, he reconciles with the family and the family accepts him at all, or whether he has, like, they, they don't ever address that. Like, in the final version of the film, it's implied that, you know, they're, they're, they're cool with him at the end. Mm-hmm. But in this one, that's left, like, the... the it's left unresolved. Yeah. Like um, you don't, he is not with the family as they watch Collingwood Barn. He's not standing near them or anywhere near them. It's just Roger and Elizabeth. And David I don't think themselves. they, I don't think they, I think after that line between scene between Roger, uh, between Barnabas and Elizabeth, where he says, I can't be forgiven. And she says, you're right. I don't think Liz would be okay with Barnabas yeah. becoming, joining the family unit um, after that happened. He yeah, murdered no, her daughter, you know, so. And I don't get that impression either. So Which Barnabas is kind of off having adventures with Willie, was probably trying to track track down Reverend Trask this entire time and finally. Yeah, which is, which is an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and we don't yeah, see anyway. Julia again too, like Julia's. Yeah, it's the- not, it's unclear whether, because Ju- like Julia and Willie don't ride off into the sunset together. No. So I don't know if Julia's back with Barnabas. or whether she goes back to treating David. Uh, who knows? I don't know. She it's seems a like lot of, it's a lot of development that just kind of gets dropped off at the pool or yeah. in the pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the Collins Pond. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile. So, so uh, Patrick, thoughts on on how this thing wraps up? Well, you know, it's been a few years since I read this. I did a podcast that never heard the light of day, I guess, uh, that uh, because of some recording problems with uh, the, the Phil, the editor of Fangoria. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the last time I really gave this a thorough read. And I went back and listened to a little of it today. And I remember remarking back then that it kind of fell apart at the end. I wasn't really sure what was going on. I, I'm going to be, just will surprise everyone, I'm going to be catty for a moment. Um, and it's this, the script feels like it was dictated by John August as he was drinking. <laughs> and that he just got weirder and weirder as it went on. And then we're going to go back in time. And There's she's going to be spiders. Know, she's going to break through. <laughs> Yeah. And then he's going to go to 11 Downing Street. Is it 10 Downing? No, it's 11 Downing Street. <laughs> and get the Prime Minister's Trask in London. And he's going to say, I'm good. 
<laughs> that's how it ends i'm good it starts out very soberly you know yeah obviously sketches of of the chair and, all, and then it just it just it it the flashback alone feels like a decoy it feels like a scene that's written in because he knows that a producer is going to cut something uh-huh. and so he writes it in so that it's cut and the rest of the movie stays it it's three or four movies going on at once. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's still it is a tribute to the idiocy of Seth Graham Smith that this is still better. It is. It's a yeah. big mess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 better. Agreed. It's better. It's pro- it's still problematic uh, for sure. There are a lot of uh, three movies at once is the right way to describe it. And I th- I agree with you. It starts it starts. I like how it starts and it kind of, but then it starts to build into this two, there's just too, too many plates spinning at the same time. And you can't sustain that. It just, the narrative flow just kind of becomes splintered. And it's just like, I think, you know, you got, I think they were like, you know, you got to have Angelique uh, uh, in there. You got to have, uh, you got to have time travel because Dark Shadows had time travel. You have to have a werewolf because Dark Shadows had a werewolf. And it just starts, Dark Shadows had ghosts and bar- and it just started to turn into this, it's just too much. It's just too much. I mean, yeah. any story is a suspense story. And mm-hmm. it, it begins with something making you think, oh gosh, what's going to happen? And that suspense carries you through to the very end. In this case, it's it's just kind of, yeah it's in the godfather if you okay we're going to talk the godfather since he talks the godfather he does yeah godfather for a moment how it's like the story is about how does this clean marine turn into this evil figure even worse than his own father Mm -hmm. that's what the story is and that's what we follow what are we what are we watching here at a certain point? It's full of lots of stuff I like, but it's it's kind of like after holiday leftovers where I don't know which one to eat. And so I just kind of <laughs> eat parts of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think fans would have been excited um, by the Easter eggs, um, the, the references oh, and yeah. things. But I don't think that's enough to save the movie and i i think there are a lot of good things in here i love like madeline was saying that mm-hmm. scene at the lighthouse i thought was really really effective i thought it was really cool um i like <laughs> you know the whole thing with the with the funeral with carolyn's funeral and barnabas's letter being read over it some of the soliloquies too i thought were very barnabas-esque but then some of the some of the weird uh it's juxt- juxtaposed with some very strange lines um, that feel very out of place in a Dark Shadows movie. Um, so I, I, but a lot of those are things that got carried over to the final, final version, or some of them anyway. So um, yeah, do do either of you have any other thoughts you want to share on this? Um, we've been going for three hours almost now, so <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter, like I said. But any closing think, thoughts on this? I think Patrick yeah. covered pretty much everything that all of my feelings pretty succinctly. I don't, I don't think that there's much for me to add there. Sorry. I'm sure I'll think of something in a moment. Yeah. Well, I will say this. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, there is a comment section on YouTube. So you are welcome to leave your opinions uh, about the film or not the film, the screenplay. 
<laughs> the screenplay, you are welcome to leave your comments there. Uh, there is also, of course, the audio version of this podcast. Um, please do uh, rate and uh, subscribe, review uh, the podcast. Uh, I've been neglecting to mention that lately, but please do that. That does help the podcast to reach more Dark Shadows fans. And please share this with your friends. This is a kind of a rare treat here. And I really want to thank Patrick and Madeline for sticking with me through this uh, three-hour marathon. And, and yes, oh gosh, you. no, I am thrilled that you're both here to 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 join. I would, I'm delighted that you're both here, and thank you for sharing your thoughts on this because it's really exciting. And thanks to those you know who you are who uh, had uh, the kindness of heart to uh, let me take a look at this. So I appreciate that as well. I would have loved this movie if it had just been you narrating it the whole time. So thank you, you did a great job. I really mean it. Thank you, thank you, thanks. <laughs> Putting those notes together was was no easy feat, but Madeline helped out with jumping in with some corrections there, because I was like really blowing through it to try to try to get the notes together before we recorded this episode and, um, and juggling my day job at the same time. So, um, but this was fun. I hope you folks enjoyed this episode uh, because uh, this, you, we may never get to see this script. Uh, I, I hope, hopefully this will be someday shared with the larger fan community. Um, I'm not sure what the legality is of that. I know the Seth Graham Smith script is floating around uh, on, on the internet. Um, and so maybe someday this will show up, but for the time being, this is, this is kind of it guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening to Terror at Collinwood and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.